Hey, welcome to In Doubt. This week on the show, we talk with author Vanitha Rendell Reisner on finding joy in the midst of suffering. If God didn't walk with me through my suffering, I don't think I could handle it. I mean, if God was kind of up in heaven saying, suffer for my glory, but I'm not in this with you, I wouldn't know what to do. Because that's the blessing that we get in suffering, is that God is walking with us. Hey, welcome again to In Doubt. My name is Isaac, the host of the In Doubt Show. So I'm back from the Greece trip and I actually actually took a few extra days and went to Rome with my wife, which was incredibly fun. But I'm back, I'm looking forward to more conversations and projects that are underway here at In Doubt as we enter into the summer. It's crazy to think that we're already halfway through May, it's just wild, but hey, uh, summer is approaching fast, which is great. Um, today on the show, I have the great privilege of hearing from and talking with uh, Vanitha Rendell Reisner. Um, when you hear some of Vanitha's story, uh, you'll understand why it's so important to have someone like Vanitha talk about joy that comes from God in the midst of suffering. You know, suffering is never going to go away, right? It's with us until Jesus comes back. Uh, physical suffering, mental suffering, spiritual suffering, relational suffering, and more. Because of the curse of sin, suffering is a result of everyone and everything in this world. And it's in the topic and issue of suffering that questions obviously arise. Anyways, let's get into this important conversation and hear Vanitha's story. With me today is Vanitha Rendell Reisner. Uh, she's recently authored a book called The Scars That Have Shaped Me, How God Meets Us in Suffering. Uh, thanks for talking with me today on the show, Vanitha. Oh, it's great to be here. Um, so, so I really want to give some time for you just to share your, your story. So why don't we just do that, get right into it, and then we're going to dig into some more specific questions. But tell us your testimony. Okay. Well, um, I guess I'll start from the beginning with my testimony because um, it's relevant from the very beginning. Um, I was born in India <laughs> um, to Christian parents, and when I was three months old, I got polio. Now, polio had been practically eradicated by the time I got it, so the doctors had no idea what I had. And so um, I had a 105-degree fever, and my parents um, took me to the hospital, and the doctors actually thought I had typhoid. So they gave me cortisone, which lowers the body's immune system, but it also um, uh, lets polio um, kind of go rampant. So because it took down my fever, it but by the end of that, I was completely paralyzed. I had had polio just in one leg. Really not a very um, severe case, but within 24 hours, I was a quadriplegic. And then the doctor said, oh, my gosh, she had polio, but we didn't know that. And they said, there's nothing we can do. So they told my parents I should probably leave India if I had any chance of any kind of life. So my dad, who was um, a professor in a university in India, took a manual job in London installing telephones just so I could get good medical care. And so I had my first surgery in England, and then um, we moved to Canada, which is where I lived for the next eight years. Um, and I had um, probably 19 operations in Canada. Um, and I lived um, in Montreal um, and was at the Shriners Hospital for a lot of it, which is a free hospital because my parents really didn't have a lot of money. And um, at the time, um, that hospital was, um, you had to stay there 
and your parents couldn't come visit you. So my parents would just come see me on weekends and I was there for months at a time. How old were you at this time? Um, it started when I was three and um, all the way up until when I was 10. And when I was seven, I was actually in the hospital for a year straight or nine months straight in a body cast flat on my back. Um, and that, um, at the time, I didn't really think about how hard it was. But after I got out of the hospital, even when I was seven, I started dealing with a lot of bullying. Mm. And I didn't, it just kind of surprised me because I had lived in the hospital, watched TV, you know, that wasn't on TV. (laughs) And um, just didn't even know what to do with that. And so my parents are believers, but I just turned my back on God at a very young Mm. age because I thought, you know, my life isn't like everybody else's. And I really... I didn't want to tell my parents um, what was going on. I was too embarrassed. It felt really weird to tell them. So I never did. I didn't tell anybody. Um, so kids would make fun of me when I was seven. These um, kids, um, these boys who I, I didn't know, um, threw stones at me and they called me a cripple. And um, I just remember thinking, you know, I want nothing to do with this God. Mm. You know, if, if people tell me there's a God, I want nothing to do with it. And um, But I really didn't believe there was one. And so then I kind of went along that way. And then when I was in high school, I got involved in FCA, um, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, which is pretty ironic because <laughs> I was not a Christian or an athlete. Right. <laughs> so I don't know what I was doing there. But all the um, all the cute guys in my high school went to FCA. <laughs> so that was the place to go. Right, right. That's why I went. Right. And um, my friend and I would sit in the back and we would talk about boys. We wanted nothing to do with God. Mm. Um, but she went away on a retreat. I guess they convinced her to go. And she came back. And she said to me, God is real. And I remember just thinking, oh, no, you are not going to want to sit in the back and talk about guys. You're going to want to talk about God. And I have no desire to do that. We started having a series of, you know, I call conversations because she'd always want to talk to me about it. And I remember going home one night and just praying. And I just said, God, if you are real, show me. Mm. So um, I got up the next day and I remember thinking, okay, well, you know, maybe I should open the Bible um, because maybe that's what I do if I've asked God this question. Now, I didn't expect anything to really happen, but I kind of flipped open the Bible and I read Leviticus and I thought, (laughs) you know, this is exactly what the Bible is about. You know, it's don't boil a cat in its mother's milk. You know, I don't know what this means. This is not relevant to me. And then um, I just said to God, why? you know, why did this happen? Show me why this happened in a very arrogant way, I have to say. But um, I flipped open the Bible again to John 9. And um, I started reading and it says the disciples, you know, as they were going along, they saw a man blind from birth. And the disciples asked Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus said, it was not that this man sinned or his parents that he was born blind, but that the works of God might be made manifest in his life. And I remember just reading that thinking, oh, my gosh, God is answering me. Like, here I was arrogantly asking God why, and he's answering me. And, I mean, it is a moment I will never forget, you know, where God really came off the pages of the scripture, and he was right there with me, answering me. And I remember I just got down. I was in my bed when I was reading this, and I got down on the side of my bed, and I committed my life to to God, who I really didn't even know. But I knew knew me, and uh, I was 16 at wow. the time. Yeah, that's amazing. And how does your journey kind of play out from that point on, from, you know, from conversion into greater spiritual maturity? 
Um, well, I gave my life and kept maturing, but after, so I wouldn't say there's a period where I really walked away or fell mm. away from faith, but I would say the next 10 years of my life were the most fun and the most um, fruitless okay, right. <laughs> after, you know, so I, well, not really. I mean, I went to college when I was really involved in a Christian fellowship, but after that, I, um, I started working. I had a great job. I lived in Boston. I mean, and career and work mm. and success became um, a lot of my life. Right. And, you know, I was involved in church, but I felt like I was kind of going through the motions at times. You know, I had my devotional life, but God was not the center of my life. Right. And that happened for quite a few years. You know, I went to grad school and, you know, career was everything. Got married, married a classmate from grad school. Right. And then... um it was when um, I was 20 weeks pregnant with our um, unborn child, our, our son that we were going to have, yeah. that I found out he was going to have a heart problem. And that sort of changed my world. Mm. I remember saying to God, doesn't everybody just have one big problem? Like that was my, my theology was, <laughs> you know, everybody has the one big thing. And yeah. I remember thinking, I am so glad I got over my one big thing when I was young. You know, I mean, I still deal with polio, but I thought the rest of my life is going to be great. Right. And everybody else doesn't know when the, you know, the shoe is going to fall. Mm. And um, I didn't expect that at all that I would, I would have a son with a heart problem. So we started doing a lot of research. Um, when we found out I was pregnant with him on what to do and we needed to have his surgery as soon as he was born, um, for him to, um, even be able to live. And he did that and the surgery went really well, but, um, seven weeks after his surgery, we went in to see a doctor just to get his prescriptions refilled and for a checkup that was not very familiar with his condition. He was a substitute doctor and he miss, um, he said we didn't need any more of the medicine that he was doing great, didn't refill the prescriptions. And it ended up that he died because he really did need those prescriptions and that medicine. And that was um, really pretty shattering for me. I mean, it was a time when I feel like in some ways, right after he died, I was very strong in my faith. I mean, in terms of like three days after we got up and talked at his funeral, but, you know, weeks after that, I felt empty and just like, God, you know, I begged you not to take our son. I mean, when we realized something was wrong, you know, I was begging God, please, please, please don't do this. And felt like I really pulled away from him because I thought, you know, I trusted you and you did this. And um, and it was really in this just finally surrendering to God and saying, you know, I want you to draw near to me because I can't do this without you. And um, just sensing God's presence just kind of um, really filled me, kind of overwhelmed mm -hmm. me. And I realized like, okay, I... I want to walk with this God. If after I've lost my son, I can still have joy and see that knowing God is actually better than anything. Yeah. It, it seems kind of wild to even say that. I mean, it was a few months after our son died, but it was this pivotal moment for me. And I would say after that moment, I haven't really wavered as much because there was this tangible, the worst thing that I could have imagined happened yeah. and God was there. And so there was this, like love for God that I feel like I didn't, I didn't even have before. So I, you know, t take us through that because you started saying that you 
you know, you, you had this feeling of begging God. Um, and that does come from, I would say, a, a wrong theology of, of our relationship with God and what God is for us and does to us. Um, you know, and you, you even said that, you know, everyone has one big thing, you know, and that, that right. was sort of your, your thinking. But then obviously through this, you know, obviously tragic moment or this time in your life, you know, within a few months, you were able to come to this place where just knowing God is your ultimate joy and treasure and that's it. But can, sort of take us through that. Help us, you know, gain a better theology in the sense of, of that, you know, going from begging God to then being content with just knowing God. Yeah. Um, a lot of it is begging God because I felt like I knew what was best for me and that, you know, I think I had a theology of bargaining with God, like you do this for me, I'll do this for right. you. And it yeah. was all about, you know, I'm going to go to Bible study and do all those things and you kind of owe me. And right. really seeing that life with God is the gift. It's not mm-hmm. the things he gives us. It's not even family. It's not even any of those things, but it's actually being with him as the gift. Mm-hmm. And he's not going to take that away. I and mean, it really kind of, that understanding has evolved. I mean, I've been through other suffering as um, uh went through a, a really hard divorce um, when my husband left for someone else and really kept thinking, this can't be part of God's plan for me. I mean, just really felt like if somebody sins against you, if there's sin, you know, like that's, that's not, God can't be in that. And yet you look at Job and, and he is, you know, it's other people's sin does become part of what God wants for you. And, and ultimately what God wants is for you to know him and be with him. And, and, you know, you see that even in Job Mm. and I feel like God, you know, through my life has been just kind of showing me each time something hard, really hard happens. And all I can do is beg God for it to not to happen. I mean, I still do it every single time. So it's not like (laughs) I'm this great spiritual person in that every time something hard is in front of me, my first thing is God, please. No, 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 no. I can't do it. Don't let me, don't make me. But then on the other side, when the times that God says, no, you are going to go through this, the joy that God gives me is, it's like, oh my gosh, God, you do save good gifts for your children. They right. just don't look like what we think they're going to look like. And um, I remember being at a conference once and I was kind of stunned. Everybody was going around asking, um, what was the greatest gift you've been given? That's what we were all on camera and they were asking us. And somehow I thought of something else. And the first words out of my mouth were the greatest gift was suffering. And I surprised myself and they, I kind of took them aback because they were talking about, you know, presents parents had given them. And um, just as I was talking, I was really even thinking about it. And I just thought it is the greatest gift because it has forged my faith. It's shown me so much truth about God. And Mm. yet um, it's never been the gift I've wanted. I've always wanted to give it back. That's so good. And that, that reminds me, um, I, I remember reading uh, recently uh, a sermon by Charles Spurgeon called The Immutability of God. And he has this illustration in there where uh, he, he's talking about the, the promises of God and relying on God's promises. And there's an illustration of a, um, it, it, it was obviously this was, sermon was written in the 1800s when there was still slavery. And it says a master asked his slave, why are you always so content in, in the Lord? And I'm always so anxious and worried. And uh, the slave said, 
he said, well, well, why master? Like you only, you merely stand on the promises of God and you really have little to do with it. Whereas, whereas I lie prostrate on the promises of God. Mm. And that, that's always stuck with me because it's true, Vanita, when you say that about suffering, because, you know, like, uh, like James says, uh, that, you know, count it joy when you face trials of various kinds, because that produces steadfastness. And every time a trial hits us, we are asked the question, do you have faith in God's promises and God's character? And the more we're acquainted with God's uh, God's uh, promises and God's character. I mean, we're close to Him. Like we're uh-huh. close to Him. So I, I think that's great. I think that's amazing. Um, now, when we talk about the question, the issue of suffering, um, we don't always bring up forgiveness. Sometimes, if you bring up forgiveness when it comes to suffering, you might think, "Well, what does that have to do with it?" But um, how does forgiveness play a role in our suffering? I guess is the question. And then, what is that kind of? What did that look like in your life as well? Um, I think forgiveness plays a gigantic role Mm. in suffering. And um, I think because, you know, we live in a fallen world and a lot of our suffering is because people have wronged us. And I think forgiveness is what changes us through suffering. I think, you know, people suffer and it doesn't always make them better. Often it makes them bitter. And I think a big part of the difference is forgiveness. Mm. I think when you hold on to the the things that people have done to you, whether or not they were completely undeserved, I mean, I think we always think they're completely undeserved, yeah. whether they are or not, I think we can't let God's love and, you know, his presence, I, I don't feel like they're there in the same way. Mm. Um, I know I did a focus group for somebody once for a group um And we were talking about forgiveness and I could have divided the room up just by people's faces and their joy and how they talked about what they thought about forgiveness, because half the people said they didn't think forgiveness was that important. And there was pain and anguish all over their face. And half the people said, yeah, forgiveness, they'd forgiven, you know, really pretty horrific things. Um, And there was joy and freedom. And I mean, you didn't even need to ask. You could have, I could have just picked them out for you. And um, (laughs) it's, so it's pretty, and forgiveness in my own life has been probably the single most important thing besides coming to Jesus in terms of changing me. Um, So I'm pretty passionate about that because I think letting go and giving it to God and not feeling like we need revenge there's something really amazing that God does in that. And, um, That's good. you know, I think, I think part of it is even, you know, I've been, I've actually been writing a little bit on that and the, um, the idea of forgetting, because I think sometimes we say we can forgive, but we can never forget. But I think God calls us to forget, not forgetting in a way that, you know, we can never remember. Mm. But, you know, I think about Joseph when um, he named his first son after all of that, you know, his brothers had sold him and Potiphar had put him in jail. Um, And he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and and all my father's house. Mm. And he didn't forget but he wasn't going to rehearse it. Yeah. He wasn't going to let it make him be bitter because he was, he'd given it to God. So he could see his brothers and love them. And in the end say, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And I think that's true of all of our suffering. I mean, people do mean it for evil. Satan is our enemy. He means it for evil, 
but God means it for good. So and good. if we can see that and forgive, there's so much God can do in our lives. Yeah. And you know what's so cool about that is that yeah, obviously when Christians hear you say that, they're, they're, the spirit inside them resonates with that because they know that's right. But even when you look at the sort of everyone else in the world, there's something about forgiveness that's that's attractive. There's something because the law of God is written on our hearts that just seems right. And and I remember on the news um, back the horrific accident. I think it was in South or North Carolina. You might tell me in, in um, where the uh, the young guy went in and shot and killed some people in a church. Um, oh yeah, down there. And I remember one of the relatives, you know, on news forgiving him um, live, and and ev- it was shocking for people to hear this. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. you know, and it was just powerful, even for people that, you know, aren't Christian or anything like that. They're like, something is beautiful there um, that can't be really explained. Uh, so I, I think that's it's, forgiveness is powerful. Thank you for sharing that. I think that's really. It, it is. I mean, I heard somebody once say to me, um, we are never more like Christ than when we are willing to suffer for the sins of others. Wow. And I think, you know, especially. You know, that's true. And that's what forgiveness is, really, is being willing to suffer for the sins of others and not make them pay. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's so good. Um, I want to finish with this, Vanita, as we wrap up. Uh, You emphasize the fact that, you know, God walks with us in our suffering. Um, The the subtitle of your book is, you know, how God meets us in our suffering. Um, I don't think we have time to go really into a lot of what the Bible says about it. But, you know, how does this kind of work out in practical situations? for people right now that may be listening and, you know, they're, they're suffering right now and they're hearing your story and they're like, oh, I wish I could be like that. What, what can you tell them? How does, this, how does this work in real everyday life? I think walking with God is really just, um, just wanting to be with him. And I mean, I think, you know, the Bible talks a lot about, you know, us walking with God. You know, you look at Psalm 23, which is probably the most um, well-known psalm. And, you know, mm. though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. And I think knowing that whatever we walk through, we don't walk alone is is incredible. I mean, that is the joy of the gospel is God is with us, yeah. you know, and, and he's never going to leave us. Yeah. And so I think... That to me, if God didn't walk with me through my suffering, I don't think I could handle it. I mean, if God was kind of up in heaven saying, suffer for my glory, but I'm not in this with you, Mm. I I wouldn't know what to do. Because that's the blessing that we get in suffering is that God is walking with us. And we may not, you know, the interesting thing is I've been kind of in um, reading about Mary Magdalene just at the tomb and how at first she didn't recognize Jesus. And so she didn't have the comfort because God hadn't opened her eyes. And then all of a sudden she knows it's him and she's flooded with this overwhelming comfort. So God is with us as believers all the time. But sometimes we ask, we have to ask him to open our eyes to show us that he's there, that he's walking with us. Cause that's really when we get the comfort, but you know, we sometimes pray, God be with them. Well, God's with them. If they're believers, <laughs> you know, good, yeah. God is with them, you know, but we're really praying is God help them to know that you're with them, help them to sense it. And I think that's what's the joy of walking with God is like sensing, knowing, feeling that God is there. Yeah. Um, that's what makes the difference. And I think you would say that, you know, probably the, two most powerful ways that you can sort of grow in recognizing that is obviously hearing him in his word and then praying as well. Yes. I mean, that's, that's, you know, it's funny because 
that's what I always tell people. They're like, well, how do I get to know God better? You know, and they want to go to a retreat or they want to do all these things. And it's (laughs) like, it's really reading the Bible and praying. That's it. That is, that is the Christian life. You know, there's community, those things are all important, but how do you get to know God? How do you walk with God? It's reading the Bible and praying. Love it. And it's that simple, but that beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, definitely. That's great. Um, Vanitha, where can people go if they're listening right now and they want to hear more about your story? Um, we've mentioned, uh, we didn't really get into your book, but we've mentioned it. Um, yeah. Where can they go to access these these materials? Um, well, I have a blog, uh, danceintherain.com. So, um, and then I write um, every other week, usually about suffering, not always, but I have a lot of articles there about suffering and I do write for Desiring God as well. And so if you put my name in there, you can see. And for them, I'm pretty much always right about suffering, which I know sounds like a really downbeat thing, but <laughs> in some ways it's it's really joyful. So. No, it's true. And, you know, the fact is that suffering, I mean, we it's never going to leave until, uh, he, uh, you know, Jesus comes back. And yeah. so it's always relevant. And we always need to hear about how we can find joy and obviously God in suffering. So... I think that's really important. Yeah. And to our listeners, I'll have all those, uh, the links to her blog and her book. And um, even the, there's a little documentary that Desiring God made about Vanitha as well. I'll put that all on the episode page uh, so you can re- uh, hear more about Vanitha. But anyways, Vanitha, thank you so much for your time uh, and just sharing uh, with us and just being real with us. And uh, yeah, I hope to have you back on the show again soon. Oh, I'd love to. This was great. Thank you so much, Isaac. Some of you listening might have heard Vanitha's story and honestly thought, okay, that's no different than my life. And that may be true. Again, as I was saying at the beginning and as we were talking about in the conversation, you know, suffering is always here. You know, we don't know what kinds of suffering we'll experience, but we all will experience some kind of or form of it. Listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 6 through 11 when it comes to suffering. It's, it's really good and I think it's important for us to hear. He says this, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world." And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Now, that little while, when it says, you know, in a little while, the God of all grace, you know, will restore you, that little while could be a little while in our idea of the phrase, you know, so a little while could be a week, a month, a couple years or whatever, but a little while could also be in terms of, you know, God's time. You know, our our life on earth is brief constantly throughout the scriptures. We're told that. In fact, one of the psalmists say that our life is a mere hand breadth long, like this, you know, the span of your hand, that's how long our life is. It's very, very short. When we're taken up to heaven, when we die or when Jesus comes back, we will no longer suffer, but we'll be strengthened and just completely filled with joy beyond belief or experience. 
Hey, if In Doubt has encouraged you at all, or maybe you believe in our mission to bring the gospel to the many issues of life and faith that, you know, we all experience every single day, cultivating conversation, then I encourage you to pray and consider if this would be a nonprofit you'd like to donate financially to. We don't gain revenue, but everything we make is free, so we, in some respects, depend on donations from listeners. If this is something you'd be interested in, just click the donate button, follow the instructions at indoubt.ca if you live in Canada, or indoubt.com if you live in the States. If you want to connect with us throughout the week, you can do so on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Anyways, I'm Isaac, and next week we're holding a guest cast on some interesting and unique things happening in our current culture. See you then. Indoubt Ministries exist to bring a biblical perspective into the relevant issues of life and faith that young adults face every day. For more information, check out indoubt.ca if you live in Canada and indoubt.com if you live in the U.S.